For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And that is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio. And we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varilla, and next to me, like always, the president of Bridge Ministries, Steve Den Hartog. What was that? <laughs> oh, man, I had a fumble. Well, guys, we haven't been on for a little bit. We're still here. Uh, it's good to be back. I know it's been a while. You guys are probably wondering what happened to these guys. We are here. We've been setting some things up. We've been busy. But uh, real quick, Steve, can you just give us a little bit of update of what's just happening in the ministry? Uh, it's just been busy. You know, we've got a lot of uh, classes going on. Yeah. We got the cohort still happening. Yeah, um, a lot of things planned for this summer and fall. So it's just been an exciting time here. Yes, and and guys, uh, we're super super excited to be back. And please please remember to subscribe to Apple, Android, Google, and Stitcher Radio. And please visit our website at bridgemenlaredo.org. And please, if you guys get an opportunity to give to the ministry, we will take anything. Uh, help us out a little bit here as we are in a new facility and uh, we are planning to do some great things here in the future. Uh, so uh, today we are going to be interviewing a Dr. Jonathan Masters on his book, reform theology and we're going to be going through this book and just talking about the things of what is reform theology um i love the book and i'm looking forward to interviewing uh dr masters on his book it's a nice short read good intro it's going to be good awesome well guys it's good to be back and uh i hope that you guys uh enjoy this podcast and uh if you again have any questions or anything please reach out to us all right well steve let's get this podcast started let's do it all right Dr. Jonathan Masters is president of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Greenville, South Carolina. He got his PhD at the University of Aberdeen. Dr. Masters, welcome to Bridge Radio for the first time. Abe, hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, when Steve uh, started communicating with you and gave me the book, I was super excited to read the book and go over it. I don't know if you are aware, we are a reform Christian bookstore here in uh, Laredo, Texas, on the border of Mexico. And, you know, we've been really excited uh, since I moved here about just reform theology. So looking forward to absolutely having a conversation. But before we begin, um, Jonathan, can you please just tell us a little bit about yourself and how the Lord drew you to saving faith? Yeah, thanks for that opportunity. I love talking about what God's done in, in my life. I'm so grateful to him. Um, well, I'll start with a little bit about myself now. I live in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm married. We have two children who are older, uh, one's about to graduate high school, the other is uh, almost finished with college. And I serve, as you as you said, as the president of Greenville Seminary. I'm a, an ordained minister in the PCA, and I was, or, I've been ordained in ordained ministry for 21 years. So my primary calling, as I see it, is to be a minister of the gospel. And 
Right now, the way the Lord has worked in my life, that ministry is worked out mostly in the context of seminary leadership and preaching and teaching opportunities that come from that. So I'm not engaged right now in full-time pastoral ministry, although I have been in the past for, for many years. So that's where I am now. In terms of how the Lord worked in my life, you know, I, I had the, the great privilege of uh, being raised by very godly parents. My father had come to faith a little bit later in life, and my mom was raised in a Christian home. And so they were they were very, very uh, godly influence on me. We were always in church. I, I really don't remember a time where I didn't uh, understand the Bible to be God's Word and, and consider it to be true and know something about my sin and about the work of Christ. So that has had an incalculable effect in my life, and the Lord's really worked through it. As a matter of fact, actually, um, I didn't know you were going to ask that question, but I, this this little book, I dedicated it to my parents, and that's just a very, very small token of a of a of a major debt of gratitude. I honor them, and uh, and and we still have a very close relationship. Um, it, along the way, there were a number of significant influences on my life. A couple that I'll mention that that have bearing even on this subject and, and where I am today. One, when I was in college, I was privileged to be a part of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia under the ministry of uh, Dr. James Boyce. And that that was really where the Lord, I think, called me to the ministry. I wasn't opposed to pastoral ministry, but I just I just didn't think that that was the direction I was headed in. And mm-hmm. um, and so that that was a game changer for me. Those couple of years were transformational. I could talk a lot about that, but they still they they still are with me today. Those years are still with me today. And then and then along the way, I've just had a number of of men who have poured into my life, and a number of books that have been hmm. key and influential. Banner of Truth books, maybe foremost among them. But the Lord's been very gracious to me uh, throughout the years, teaching me, being patient with me, and so um, it's a delight to be able to serve Christ as an ambassador. Well, we are so excited that. Uh... You wrote this book. When I saw it um, from PNR, I was I was thrilled because I've been wanting to do a class on Reformed theology here, just kind of like an introductory class. And uh, there's one by by Sproul. It's a little bit longer. It's yeah. a good book as well. But this <laughs> mm-hmm. one is just very approachable and oh, very yeah. very readable. So I think it's it's a great introduction. So I'm super excited about that, and certainly can. Uh, can echo what you said about, um, you know, godly authors and the influence that they've had on my life as well. So, you know, again, just a reaffirmation yeah. of how important it is for us as Christians to continue to read. So um, just to, to start out the questions, Jonathan, can you kind of lay the foundation for us and talk a little bit about what theology is and why it matters? Before we get into Reformed theology, what's, why, what is theology and why should we care about it? It's a great question and a great place to begin. Theology, if you break it apart etymologically, just means words about God. And so it is the study of God. I think some of our best um, forefathers in the faith have added a little more meat to the bones of that definition and have said something like living to God through Jesus Christ. And that that fills out what we mean. And and because the definition is so broad and it deals with, with all of our thoughts about God and particularly how we're to live to God through Jesus Christ, it it, it is absolutely foundational for everything else in our lives. And if you think about the fact that each of us as human beings is a creature created by God. 
the number one most important thing on our list uh, in our lives should be, well, if I'm created by God, how is it that I can come to a, a knowledge of God, and how is it that I can be reconciled to God? And even if you don't start there, but you look within yourself, you realize um, pretty quickly that there are all kinds of ways in which, no matter what standard you might um, hold yourself to, you, you fall far short. And certainly if we look at the standard of the holiness of God and the, the moral law that God has revealed to each of us, uh, we, we, we see our shortcomings. And so again, it should be at the top of our list. How is it that I can attain to the, to the righteousness of God? And so you know, almost everywhere you turn in your life, whether it's uh, whether you're looking at your relationships or your work or the meaning of life or what happens after I die or how can I change, uh, almost everywhere you look, it's it's really a God question, hmm. and 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 it can't be resolved without clarity regarding the nature of God and how He's revealed Himself to us as creatures. So. Because of that, it has it has immense importance for everyone. Now, I think sometimes we get sidetracked because some people will say, yeah, but do I really need to study theology? That's what they mean. Do I really need to study theology? Do I really need to read um, uh, complex, difficult theological books? And at one level, of course, the answer is no. But at another level, because it's so foundational, this is really something you ought to devote your life to. You need to, you want to be a student of God's revelation in His Word, and Amen. and that's going to require the best of you. And yeah. so, in that sense, even though I'm going to give a qualified no to the question of, do I need to study theology? I want to say, well, you, you really need to think about it. You need to answer these questions, sure. and, and the way we get answers is through God's Word and His revelation. Hmm. Amen. Yeah, everybody's a theologian, as Sproul said, right? So that's right. Yeah, that's right. You can be sloppy. You can be inconsistent. You can be self-contradictory. You mm. can be, you know, self-deceived. But you're still a theologian. You're just a bad one. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do want to read this part in your book when, in the introduction of theology matters. I don't want to give everything away from your book because I want people to go out and buy it, of course. But you say this about theology and why it matters. Knowing these truth answers and um, being able to articulate them is a very powerful thing. Not only, uh, not only must we be clear and thoughtful about what we believe, but we ought to be able to present our belief with coherence that displays their inner logic. Hmm. I highlighted that. Yeah. That was absolutely great amen yeah and, and and again just reiterating what you're just saying well you know abe that's such a key point in my mind too and i didn't mention it in the earlier response but i'm glad you highlighted it we want to have a clear theology in our own mind but we also need to be able to express it mm. and and so that's where i'm making a move from saying just theology in the broadest sense to a systematic theology yeah a, a theology that coheres that that has an internal logic to it and that is it answers the the big questions that that life presents to us amen yeah absolutely so uh we're going to move from why theology matters but second question what is unique about reform theology well that was the question that was the hardest one for me to really wrap my mind around, wrap my arms around, I should say, when writing the book, because I wanted to keep it clear and introductory. And the truth is, depending on who you ask, you're going to get a lot of different answers to this question. Mm -hmm. Some people in the historical guild, in the academic guild, 
define Reformed theology purely in terms of its history. This is the theology that comes out of the Reformation. So, you know, whether it's liberal, conservative, whatever, it's still Reformed theology because it comes out of the Reformation. It's not Roman Catholic. Or or some people will narrow it further and say, well, it's not Roman Catholic and it's not Lutheran, so therefore it's Reformed. So there's that historical path you can go down when defining it. Then in popular, uh, and, and I'm sure you guys encounter this all the time, in popular uh, church life, oftentimes Reformed theology is just taken to mean some kind of Calvinism mm-hmm. or some a nod to the idea that God elects unto salvation. And sometimes for, for people, they'll say, you know, I'm Reformed. And what they mean by that is, right. I believe God elects uh, individuals unto salvation. And I, and I do believe that, and that is a part of Reformed theology. But what I tried to do was to uh, come up with something that was a little bit clearer and I think more precise than that. So I, I, I list three elements in the book. The, the first is, I've used, instead of the five points of Calvinism, which mm. which is another way sometimes people define Reformed theology, I define it in terms of the, the solas of the Reformation. Mm. Now, those were not articulated until after the Reformation, but they express important Reformation truths, that the Bible alone is our source of authority, that Christ alone is the source of our salvation, that it's through grace alone, by faith alone, and it's all to God's glory alone. Those are those are at the center of what the Reformation was about, and teasing those implications out in all of their fullness, I think, is one one leg of the stool in terms of Reformed theology. The second leg of the stool that I identified was um, an understanding of the covenants being the the superstructure of of the Bible. Reformed theology, from its very beginning, from its earliest adherents was covenantal in its understanding of the Bible. And really what that means, it means a lot of things, but one of the things that it means is that the Bible reveals the God's saving work in Jesus Christ through a series of covenants, which are all under an overarching covenant of grace. So covenant theology is leg two of the stool, as I set it up. And And then leg three tries to incorporate some of the history. And what I say there is it's expressed in a historic creed or confession of faith. So I want to say, yeah, there is a historical element to it. That That's part of what the label means. It's not exclusively that, but it is that. And so and so the solos, covenants, and cr- historic creed or confession. I think if you if you have all those three, I think you're in on pretty safe ground saying mm-hmm. saying that the theology that we're talking about is is rightly called reform theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, I going back to the five solas and and specifically the uh, the sola scriptura with regards to the authority of God's word. Can you flesh that out a little bit more for us and talk about why that is so important uh, for us from a from a reform perspective? And then what does it mean actually to be under the Bible's authority? Yeah, there's a reason why we usually start the solos with by saying sola scriptura. There's a reason why the Westminster Confession of Faith begins mm-hmm. chapter one with the Word of God, because that's the basis of our understanding of who God is and of so much else that we're going to say. Mm-hmm. In the Reformation, the idea of the Scriptures being the sole source of authority was setting really the Scriptures up against various traditions within the Church and the authority of the Pope. Today, that's not as much of an issue for most people, although some people still live under those um, errors. But but uh, today, really, we're, we're we're so influenced by the culture that we're we're apt to say, well, hey, if I if I meet a smart professor, 
who says one thing and it contradicts the Bible, I'm going to go with the smart professor. Well, Sola Scriptura says, no, the Bible alone is our source of authority. We, In other words, we test everything by the Word of God, and the Word of God is our grid for for decision-making and for an, analyzing our, the world. It, it, Sola Scriptura is an acknowledgement at one level that we aren't going to be able to rightly come to conclusions apart from God revealing himself to us mm. as he's done in the Bible. You know, it, it has implications for worship. Calvin, when he was um, explaining why the Reformation was necessary, he, he mentions two things. Um, the first is that the true worship of God had been lost. Mm. And then the second is that what had been lost was uh, an understanding, a clear understanding of how man is reconciled to God hmm. through Jesus Christ. And both of those things are dealt with in the Bible. Those, those are those are scriptural scriptural doctrines. So what it means to live under sola scriptura, to live in light of sola scriptura, is to say all these things that we know, particularly the things that we know about God and salvation, we derive from the scriptures and we 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 sit under scriptural authority. Mm. It's uh, it, it's more than just saying, I believe the Bible is inspired and without error, although it is saying that. It's also saying, no, it's sufficient for the, the things that God has given us uh, to do and to mm. believe. Amen. And I think it's good to point out what we mean by that, especially because we do put a pretty heavy emphasis on you know, historic creeds and confessions, you know, the Apostles' yes. Creed, Nicene Creed, confessions like, uh, you know, the uh, the Westminster Confession and so forth. But those, mm -hmm. again, are always subservient underneath the authority of Scripture, right? That's right. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you can see that the Nicene Creed, for instance, talks about that the you know it, it'll have this line in there, this clause in there, according to the Scriptures, mm. Yeah. Or and the Westminster Confession will say the same thing that the, these are that all of these things are under the authority of the Scriptures. So, without question, those things are guide for guides for us. And I mentioned them earlier, even in the definition of Reformed theology. Yeah. But the Bible and the Bible alone is the Word of God, and that has to be our final arbiter hmm. when it comes to. Uh, any of the thoughts or, or expressions we have about God and about salvation. Amen. Yeah, it seems like we're living in, in a time where the, the 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 Bible is just being attacked more and more. I'm sure it has for the beginning of time, but it just seems like everything that's going on in, in the world, even in this country, is that, you know, we have our opinions, we have our thoughts, and then Scripture, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, 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 and we don't do it that way, right? Uh, I really appreciate you saying, if a professor is saying this, we don't go with the professor. We go to what the Bible says, and we start from there. We start from God, and then we work our way down, even with the confessions, right? You know, Reformed people have been accused. Like, we, we got the confessions. Oh, you guys, you know, Apostles' Creed, Westminster, you guys are here, and, you, and we don't see any Bible, and that's not true, right? right? And everything... Um, Everything is based from the Bible. Uh, you know, we, we're going through uh, reformed, uh, uh, reformed systematic theology at our church. And Dr. Joel Beakey is very, very clear. Starts from Scripture and then, then work your, your, your way down. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, Abe, that's really well put. And I think the best reformed systematic theologies 
will acknowledge that and will say that over and over and over again. So if someone says, well, I've got this systematic theology and I don't need the Bible, well, I, you know, uh, they, they need to read that systematic theology more carefully or yeah. they need to get another one because because that's not what Reformed theologians have said. And, you know, you were talking about the age of this. I, I almost wanted to jump in and say it really is as old as 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 creation because it, that's what the serpent said to eve isn't it yeah. did god really say yeah and so that's a that's a kind of direct attack on sola scriptura isn't it it's to, is this god's word are you sure are you sure this is what it means and you know it, it takes different forms in different eras of church history but it's uh it's a it is a fundamental issue that we listen to god's word Amen, and and that's why I think it's important to be in Scripture, as uh, as as daughters and sons of the living God. Um, next question I have for you: How do we think about God's sovereignty? Excuse me, from a reform perspective. I think the clearest uh, expressions I can give you are just ones from the Scriptures. Mm. Remember. Uh, a couple of examples. It's it's all over the Bible. God's sovereignty is all over the Bible. In fact, you could argue that just the creation narrative in Genesis one is it, it lays the groundwork for God's sovereignty because because He's the Creator and we're just creatures and He's in control. And Paul says, "In Him we live and move and have our being." So even the very breath that we're taking now is in, is it under the sovereignty of God, and 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 it's because of God. He's the ground of being. But there are some places in the Bible where this is expressed really clearly. So a couple of the ones that that I find myself coming back to over and over again are the example of Nebuchadnezzar as it's recorded for us in Daniel 4. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar is judged by God for seven years. And at the end of that, it, it moves from the third person to the first person. And Nebuchadnezzar then speaks, I. And and he, he says, essentially, God is is the God of heaven and earth. He he does as he pleases among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can say to him, what have you done? In other words, he's in total control. Or if you think about Job at the end of his long ordeal, which is all ordained by God, as we know, mm. in Job 42, Job says, I know that you can do all things. And, 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 and that it's that kind of understanding of God's sovereignty. God's the one in control. Or even think about in the New Testament, when the apostles reflect on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the the most unjust act ever performed by men, putting to death the Son of God, who is perfect man. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what the apostles say is, this was all according to the foreordination, the preordained plan of of God himself. And then when it comes to our salvation as individuals, the Bible says the same thing that we are we are chosen by him before the foundation of the world. So, whether you want to talk about an individual a salvation or individual life or whether you want to talk about global events, nations, kings, all of these are under the sovereignty of God. And that that the scriptures are replete with with um evidence of that and with examples of it. Uh, it's hard for me to understand how to read, how anyone could read their Bible and not come out of it an honest reading with an understanding of God's total sovereignty over over all all people and events. And the wonderful thing is, 
the Bible also says he's all wise and all loving. And so Paul's expression at the end of Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. And so that's that's where we should go when we start thinking about these things. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I mean, it's how I came to to reform theology. Steve, I've said this before, I mentioned it in the podcast. It was just reading my Bible, and I I I, I sat in a church that was not reform. Uh, it was biblical, but when I started asking questions, there were just the answers weren't there because I'm reading my Bible, right? And I'm hearing the preaching and it's not matching up. And I'm like scratching my head, I, a new believer, like what's going on here? And and then I came across R.C. Sproul and then everything started making a little <laughs> bit more sense. <laughs> Amen. I mean, the spirit uses his word to do his work. I mean, yeah. we talked yeah. about Sola Scriptura a minute ago. That's that's really what it's about. It's that the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God Amen. to affect transformation like that in our hearts. Yeah. And I think it's super important with regards to the sovereignty of God. As you, as you mentioned in your book, you have one of your questions and answers um, with regards to the tenets of Reformed theology and, you know, some I like, some I might not like. But you talked about the importance of making sure that all of those beliefs cohere and making sure that, um, you know, there's not one area that, that uh, disagrees with another area. And specifically, I think, with regards to the sovereignty of God, it's really important because I think it's, it's ironic. I think that probably all Christians would agree that God is sovereign, right? But then when you take that to the extreme, when you take that to the doctrine of, for example, um, election, that's where there seems to be, you know, kind of a, kind of a break and, you know, the, the pause, the pause button is hit and it really seems difficult sometimes I think for people to accept that. Um, and so I think it's really important for us to think through the, the repercussions of what that means to understand God is sovereign, not, and, and, and again, not something that we just come up with and we like, you know, to throw around that phrase, but it's something that we see throughout the entirety of scripture. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there there are some wonderful sections among a number of reformed authors, but, but I'm thinking particularly of now again the Westminster Standards where they talk about interpreting the clear pa- the unclear passages by the clear passages. Not, mm-hmm. not all things in Scripture are alike plain. Mm-hmm. And that's true. And so you're right. What we want to be is consistent. What we want to be is biblical. To me, the sovereignty of God in all of those aspects is, is about as clear uh, and biblical uh, uh, a doctrine as I could think of. But but you're right. We, that's what we want to be doing is is testing all these things by the the Word of God. So can you talk a little bit about covenant theology as well, Jonathan? And um, quite often, Reformed theology is referred to as covenant theology as well. So why are covenants so emphasized for us and from a Reformed perspective? I think there are a couple of reasons for it. Some of them are historical reasons that just as in God's providence from the very earliest days, Reformed theology, and and this is where you get a little bit into the divergence from Lutheran Hmm. Protestants to Reformed Protestants, but from the very beginning, Reformed Protestants were marked off by a a heavy emphasis on on the covenants of Scripture. 
in my mind, as I look at that, I think it's because they were they were looking afresh at the Word of God, and they were studying carefully what God said in His Word about how salvation is uh, affected by Jesus Christ and how we're related to God in Christ as as uh, uh, recipients of His covenant blessings. And so I, I think it came from a renewed study of Scripture, frankly, and a renewed study of Scripture in the original languages and all the things that went along with that. And from that flowed... Um, a, a tremendous, uh, um, tremendous riches of understanding not just what the Bible says about salvation, but what the Bible teaches about the church, mm. and what the Bible teaches about individuals within their families, and all this, all this kind of thing as well. And some of those, of course, those items are were debated, uh, but but um, it just from the earliest days is it's it's undeniably the case that reformed. Uh, theologians, Reformed pastors, Reformed Christians were set apart by their understanding of the covenants of the Word of God, and and you know one of the one of the spillover effects that that had is great continuity of understanding between where we are as Christians and members of of the church and and Old Testament Israel. It gave a lens to understand uh, how how we're uh, how we can appropriate those promises and and teachings of the Old Testament. So it was a way of kind of opening up the whole Bible and looking at the whole Bible freshly, focused on Jesus Christ, and then and then the implications of that for for the people of God today. I, I like the definition that you give in your book and it's uh, of covenant. He says, as we will see, a covenant is an agreement between two parties with duties, promises, and obligation. Hmm. I love it. This is really simple, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and again, I don't want to assume that everybody that's listening knows what covenant theology is. Um, and, and, and again, these are the things that your book is talking about, right? We do have a worldwide audience and somebody's like reform theology, you know, like what's that, you know? And that's why I'm really excited about your, your, your book. I mean, it's, it's, it's so approachable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's not intimidating, you know? Um, and I, again, I, I just got to repeat this over and over again. I just really appreciate how you, you know, wrote your, wrote this book. And by that definition, we see that throughout scripture. Yes. Right. Absolutely. The Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Oaic covenant, et cetera. Under, as you said, the covenant of grace as the all, the all encompassing covenant. So then why do we have people just push back on covenant theology when we see it throughout scripture? That's a sidebar question here. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to know for sure um, how to answer that in each individual case. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I think there are there are misunderstandings of covenant theology that come into play uh, that that then are caricatured, and there's a kind of straw man that's set up. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you, Abe. I think once you, it's one of those things where once you start to see it, um, you realize that it's it's kind of a skeleton that holds together the the redemptive history that we find in the scriptures. So I think it's it's a really important theme and it really opens up your our eyes to the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. So in in light of that, what 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 does God's covenant mean for us today in 2023 and beyond? Great question. Well, first and foremost, again, what the scriptures teach us is that God's covenant promises are 
pointing us toward the the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and it gives a fullness to that redemptive work that we might understand at a basic level without an understanding of the covenants, but we see the the whole sweep and scope of God's work in in redemptive history bringing to that culmination in in the death and resurrection of his son. So that's that's every age. That's 2023 and that's you know 33 AD. That that's that's a that's one of those things that we could say at any age, um, and and really we need to start there. I think there are other implications as well, because I think the Bible speaks in covenantal terms about uh, the work of God and the and the people of God. I think that that has led many uh, in the Reformed tradition to understand the church as a covenant community, and even to understand their obligations within their families in covenantal terms. Uh, so it gives us a a, a lens for for understanding how God relates to us and makes promises to us, and also um, makes promises and gives offers to to our our children and others in our family, and and then those within our church uh, how how we are to relate to one another as members of the body of Christ. So I would say I would say first and foremost, you know, the scriptures and salvation. That's that's going to be your key takeaway, uh, and and the Lord Jesus Christ at the center, and then. And then, in terms of application, uh, it, it's also it also helps us flesh out God's relationship to His people in the church, some of the commands and warnings and blessings that God has for people in the church, and then I would even say in the family as well. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you got an opportunity um, to see your uh, two grandsons, two grandsons baptized, get yeah. baptized. What a what a what a blessing! And I sure. couldn't help but think about that, you know, about God's faithfulness to His covenant, um, and it just, you know, it was it was an amazing experience to be able to to be there for for my first two grandsons to have the, to see that baptism, and also, wow, um, I think, as you mentioned in your book, there's an implication for a responsibility on our part as well as parents to raise our children up in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord. And uh, you talk in your book briefly just about things like family worship, you know, and making sure that you are leading your family well mm-hmm. in, uh, in worship and in prayer and uh, taking serious the commands of, of God. And so there's, there's implications for us there, I think, as well as uh, when, we, when we look at uh, God's relationship to us through covenant lens. It's a great point, and I've certainly seen that the Lord um, teach me that, and I've and I've ways to go, but but I, I've He's taught me that over the years gradually. Um, you know, sir, there's a common misconception out there that if you understand the sovereignty of God, or even if you understand an, uh, the covenants of Scripture, that in somehow that in some some way that's going to lend itself to passivity on your part, mm-hmm. and. I think history would teach us, and 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 my own experience, I would say, reinforces this that that just the opposite is the case. It's that when you understand these uh, relationships and the importance of your responsibilities and duties, actually, actually, that really that really spurs you on to love and good deeds. And when you understand what the church is about, well, that really that really heightens your your degree of concern for the church and love for the church, um, and and. So and similarly with the sovereignty of God and salvation, what a what a what a great um, aid that is in our uh, understanding of evangelism and our our passion for for the the lost. And so, I, I, I 
praise the Lord for your grandsons. What a what an awesome thing. Uh, there, there's really, you know, John says he's he's talking about his spiritual children, but that he, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking yeah. in the truth. And that's, that is true at a natural level as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what a blessing, you know, what a blessing for uh, you and your family to be able to see even that generation to, to, to as you're still alive. Right. Amen. Not, not that I'm trying to kill you earlier <laughs> or anything. <laughs> How old do you think I am? Yeah, you're a young, you're a, you're a young guy, but, um, but no, that is so true. Uh, just going back what you were just saying, um, Jonathan, that uh, in God's sovereignty, is, it's it's we should get really excited that wherever we're at and and when we are being obedient, yeah. we know that the Lord is going to be doing uh, His will through His people uh, for His glory, and 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 wherever we at, you know, He's He's there, and we're and we're just called to obey, and that makes it. That makes it easy, right? That we are not in control of the outcome of what God is doing, you know, in our lives, right? We obey uh, and, you know, go out, you make disciples, baptizing them in the, you know, Father, Son, and the Spirit, and go teach, right? We see over and over again that the results are God's, not ours. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think that we're, you know, we start like, oh, man, it's, I got to do this on my own power, you know? And we might not say it out loud, but, you know, we forget who's in control. And that's an implication of God's covenant faithfulness. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, this podcast, it went by quick. It did. <laughs> that flew by. <laughs> but uh, before we land this plane, uh, Jonathan, um, Romans ten fourteen says, how would they call on him? Who they've not believed, and how would they believe in whom they have not heard, and how would they hear without a preacher? Mm -hmm. Can you please share the good news to our worldwide audience today? Well, the good news is that despite the fact that all of us are sinners by nature, mm -hmm. because of the sin of our first parents, but also because of our own disobedience, the good news is that God offers salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is appointed as the judge of the living and the dead, and to him all men must give an account. That's true for everyone, whether you wanna whether you wanna face it head on or not, you will face Jesus Christ as your judge. He is the judge of all. And yet the Bible goes on to say he offers forgiveness of sins for those who believe in his name. Jesus says, Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is a savior of sinners. He is, he offers himself freely to sinners, and those who come to him in faith, turning from their sin and, and turning to him for their salvation, will find a sufficient savior who will be with them to the end, and who makes promises for them, and, and those promises continue on for generations afterwards. So, Come to Jesus and and find rest for your soul. Turn away from your sin. Be changed as you come to Him uh, through faith. Amen. Amen. And lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. You bet. Promises. Amen. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, um, please go get the book "Reform Theology" by Dr. Jonathan Masters, forwarded by Kevin DeYoung. Blessings of the Faith by P and R Publishing. 
And uh, Dr. Jonathan Masters, where can people find you if you want to be found? Well, I'm not on social media, really. Um, I, I, like I said, I, I, I'm president at Greenville Seminary. So Greenville Seminary has a bunch of so- social media outlets, and mm. sometimes they post things about me. I'm easy to reach. Um, you can get all that information through the website. But um, so I guess if you want to find me, come to Greenville. Uh, <laughs> but but really, um, but in terms of finding out news and that kind of stuff, I think that's what you mean. Following on, yeah. on social media, I would say just go to the go to the Greenville Seminary Instagram or or Twitter or or Facebook page or something like that. That's that's probably that's the closest thing to to a feed that that represents the stuff I'm doing. Well, thank you very much for coming on on Bridge Radio and um, talking about your new book. And uh, hopefully we can have you on uh, for um, any other books that you have written or any future books that you will write. And uh, we would love to have you back on. I think this is a very important topic to have, especially in, you know, this day and age. Absolutely. Where we just see a lot of wacky, you know, kind of theology and teaching and, you know so on and so forth no i'm very thankful for this book and yeah. look forward to going through it with a uh, with a small group well thanks guys you've been a real encouragement to me and uh if you if, if you have feedback after you go through it with your group steven just let me know but um but i've really enjoyed my time with you and i'm glad i'd be glad to jump back on anytime anytime it would be a help good deal That's thank you great. so much thank you well, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes this week's episode with Dr. Jonathan Masters on his new book, Reform Theology, Blessings of the Faith. Um, Steve. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. It was it was, it was, was just great going through these uh, reform truths mm-hmm. a little bit. And again, uh, you guys know that we can't give you everything in the book, right? We only have a certain amount of time. But please, go get the book. It's a short read, but very deep. 100 pages there's questions at the end of every chapter it's one of those books that if you're interested in uh sharing uh uh, uh, to people about reform theology you can do in a group absolutely and it's very simple very deep but very very uh concise keep an eye out we've got a group that we're going to be doing at some point in time so we'll be promoting that but yeah i thought the thing that i i think the thing the takeaway that i have is that I kind of use Reformed theology and biblical theology synonymously, yes. you know, in the sense that um, Reformed theology, again, emphasizes sola scriptura, you know, the authority mm-hmm. of scripture for everything. And so, and he, and he does, and he does mention that in the book. Absolutely. He's, he's like, this is biblical theology, you know, uh, again, you know, sometimes people hear Reformed theology and they're just like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. I don't want to play, yeah. you know, if you're really interested, just read the book. Amen. Right. Yeah. And just, you know, we, we are not trying to convert you to exactly. anything, exactly. right? Reformed theology is just biblical theology. Everything starts from scripture, yep. right? And, and and we're excited to uh, uh, hopefully do this class here in the future. So if you live in, if you live in Laredo, please stop by Bridge and uh, we'll start shooting some uh, announcements online when we'll do uh, this uh uh, uh, book study because mm-hmm. uh, I think it will be uh, a blessing for uh, our local people and if anything you get to know a little bit more of what reformed theology is so Absolutely. that you can compare and, cons- and, and contrast yep. right but again uh, please go get the book uh, reformed theology blessings of faith by Dr. Jonathan Masters from P&R Publishing so go get it 
Well, guys, uh, please don't forget also to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. And like we always like to end the show, guys, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? Amen. Till next week, guys. Bye-bye.